Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs or on Spotify uh, or anywhere else you grow yourself through podcasts. So today I have with us David Richmond from Lijon uh, in Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing great, Justin. How are you? I'm doing very well. Well, David, we've known each other since 2008. I'll give everyone yes. a little background. 2008, uh, Food Service Partners, we acquired a company called Restaurant Equipment Sales. Uh, we did an asset purchase, and we bought the assets of the company and changed the name to Cull Equip, which was Culinary Equipment. And there were four stores at the time. We isolated down to two and ran out of two. And then we were in a buying group called Pride Marketing. I don't remember if that was the whole name or not. Maybe it was Pride Procurement and Marketing or something. But David was at the time running one of the manufacturers for food equipment that was part of the group that sold to food equipment sales groups or dealerships, as they were called, like us at Equip with multiple locations. And we got in the business because we sold ourselves equipment and then got into restaurant design. So that gives everyone a background. So I've known you for like 14 years now, well, almost 15. Yes. And so David, let's talk about your journey as a human, like you're an entrepreneurial minded human. You've done very well with your life. You're just started this uh, the second company since I've known you. Uh, just starting companies, maybe more than that. We can get into that. So tell me about your background, how you got started, why food service equipment, and let's just let's just take the journey. Okay. Well, I've been on all ends of the business. I was on the food end. I one time owned a food brokerage company. Uh, I was on the disposable end of the business. I was on the Janssen end of the business. And I ended up in supplies and equipment, primarily on the supply end. And I found a passion. You know, I was talking to a friend um, just this past week. And I said, you know, are you prepared for the new year? What, do you, what are your goals? What um, what did how do you plan on motivating your team and this and that? He says, I got to motivate myself. And I said, what do you mean you have to motivate yourself? He says, I'm not looking forward to going back to work. And I said, why? He said, it's just not fun. He said, you know what I mean? And I said to him, no, I don't. I said, I've been very fortunate. Uh, I've enjoyed the positions that I've had you because it comes out of your mind. You know, if you have a negative insight in your goals you're not going to achieve everything that you hope to achieve you and today so many people expect it to be given to, to them and i was taught as a young child you work for everything you get and i have worked for everything that i've achieved as a adult and i've been very fortunate and when throughout my career, I was always an entrepreneur before I worked for myself. And I never did things the way everybody else did it. Most people follow the rules. And when our kids were younger and uh, parents would say, oh, my kid doesn't do this, my kid doesn't do that, my kid uh, walks by their own 
beaten drummer, I used to say, congratulations, you're very fortunate. Because those are the ones that succeed. The ones that just follow the rules, those are the ones on the front lines. The ones that go by their own drummer and the ones that have creativity and the ones that want to succeed and create their own are the ones that are going to make a real big difference in this world. And I've always believed that. And my wife for years has been after me, after me to start my own company. And I had a concern because I had kids and I didn't want to take a chance. I want more, wanted more of a guaranteed income. However, I worked for companies that gave me the opportunity to do it my way. And I was successful in doing it that way. Once my son graduated from uh, university and my daughter was out uh, the year before, I said, I'm going to start my own company. And that's what I went ahead and did. And I had the greatest time that I could ever have. I learned so much. I met amazing people uh, from around the world. And I learned new perspectives. And I met with people that I never would have met with before. So being an entrepreneur gives you that opportunity. Uh, You take a chance uh, and it's important. My father-in-law told me, the greater the risk, the greater the reward. And I believe that. He was an entrepreneur at the later, his later years also. And, you know, if you just go into work every single day, that's all you're ever going to see. But if you take a chance, you're going to see whatever you want to see. And I agree with you 100%. I think there's a lot of mindset in there. Um, there's a lot of, um, opportunity is, is the ability to find things that don't exist also, or go where no one else is going, which you tied back to, which was, you know, doing things differently or never quite fitting in quite right. Um, so let's talk about the first business. Let's talk about, um, food equipment business in general, because I think it's a hard business to be in. Let's talk about the new business that you're in and what you do. Um, And let's talk about you and I meeting each other back in these buying groups and what that means, like, as, and do you still do that? So I don't know how to go about all these questions, David, because it's the first time we're really starting to get into food equipment businesses, but I think they it's an important part of the food entrepreneur story and it's often overlooked is the manufacturers of the food businesses and the entrepreneurs that are in there and the the dealerships and the entrepreneurs that are in the dealership space in the food equipment space so i'm going to try to tie it all together particularly because it's part of my story as well so let's talk about that you get into the food equipment space um and you talk about all the people so what is it like what's i mean I don't even know how to describe it, but I'm going to take it from your perspective. I take it as a brotherhood. Uh, It is, this is a a very nice size niche business. People, it used to be all family run businesses. It was, and quite often, it was people that uh, wanted to take a chance 
they were um, they would sell products out of their on the back of their truck or the back of their their uh, their van or their um, uh, their wagon, and they would go call on the restaurants. Do you need this? Do you need that? And way back when, uh, they would. You know, they they progressed once they started to put phones and faxes and um, buzzers on and things started to started to progress. The business started to move faster. They started to hire more more people. And I was fortunate uh, because of my age. I was very young and I got to meet a lot of these entrepreneurs both at the manufacturer level and at the dealer level. And, uh, and they, I would sit and I would listen to their stories of how they started the business and why. And quite often, most of the people started the business because they saw a niche. They saw a product or they saw an opening to sell products that they believed was not either out there or not being done as well as it should have been. And this, so that was one of the key areas that I found to be unique because the cost of entry, it's unlike the food business where the food, food business has a much higher cost of entry. This had a lower cost of entry. The second part of it was relationships. Uh, you get to call on the same people that you called on for years and if your reputation is strong and you say what you're going to do and, and you do what you say, you are going to achieve your success because people trust you. And trust is very, very important in the supply and equipment business. You have some very large companies like the Libby's and the Steel Lights and all the equipment companies. Uh, but then, but the main portion of the business in MOFSI or in uh, NAFM, which is National Association of Food Equipment Manufacturers, I think it's somewhere right around $9 million. That's the average size of a lot of these uh, smallware companies. And they all found a niche. They all found something that made a purpose that, that they were looking for. Now, the challenge was, is how to find that. Uh, I looked at the business as coming up with something new, not doing it like everyone else. I chose uh, Chef Forward when I started that. Uh, as I had mentioned before, I always looked at things differently. I never looked at things the same way anybody else did. And I always went by my own drummer. And... I, I wanted to create uh, displayware and dinnerware for the food service industry, which could be sold in restaurants, hotels, casinos, uh, banquet facilities, uh, any place where it's more upscale. But my product was made out of a material called melamine. And melamine is like tofu. You, you, the old melamine is the what we remembered is the plates that we would give to our kids that could fall on the floor and they wouldn't break or the old 
trays that we would get in school where they put the slop into each of one of the uh, sections. Well, melamine. <laughs> Absolutely. Has, I know exactly what you're talking about. And melamine has evolved. Now you can make it as heavy as you want or as light as you want. And so I chose to make mine heavy. I used a high compression melamine. And it allowed me to create products that did not look like they were made out of melamine or made out of anything other than what it was. So I made products that looked like out of wood and slate and petrified woods and stoneware. And I created all these items. And I was very fortunate when I started the company, I wanted to make a difference. because, And I think this is one of the most important things that entrepreneurs need to realize is don't copy anybody else and make a difference. Well, how I made a difference was Chef Ford's name stood for chef being the central part of food service and forward with paying it forward. And so. Can you explain what paying forward means, David, just real quick, just because I think I know what it is, but I don't know if the audience and the generation we're talking to knows the saying per se. Okay. So paying it forward is uh, helping others help themselves. To me, that was very important. And it wasn't giving it to them. It was having them work for it. And it was having them have a goal for it. So the way I did it, is I designed the basic concepts of the dinnerware or the displayware or the accessory items. I then worked with different artists, makers, and potters. These folks uh, then uh, designed the body or the decal that went on top if I designed the body. I paid them a royalty, uh, which was a percent of sales uh, for the lifetime of the product that either went towards their children's education or their retirement. Because when I started the business, uh, things were tough. And I realized that through all my years of the business, we would learn about products from chefs and from uh, executive stewards and uh and we would take these ideas, we would add it to the line, and then we never rewarded them. I met a... I like this. Can I pause you for a second, David? Sure. I know you're going to go into the story, and I'll remind you of it. But I want to pause there for one second. I want to just... There's this theory that really got put into my head around my grad school years. It always was part of who I am. But And I talk about, I think, on maybe two podcasts ago. I can't even remember anymore. But they all smear together because I record so many in a day sometimes to fill the daily, um, trying to release one every day. But it's about exporting the knowledge of making the mosquito net, not just being able to manufacture it. But one of the reasons the theory is that, or we talk about a lot, or it became so prevalent to me, is that because it's about empowering people. You can make money and they can make money, but more so all of you can have impact together and do it together for your legacy, for my legacy, for the community's legacy, for the world's legacy. And I think that that's what you touched upon right there is I agree with you. We get so many ideas and we, we capture them and there's no reward there. And in food, 
when it comes to recipes and it comes to whatever, I agree with you. And I've tried to do this at Food Service Partners where I started. I just ran out of runway because things changed and we changed and now I'm going to do it in a different direction. Whereas I was trying to create brands around the individuals that worked in the company to create that same type of mentality of eventually giving back and have them get a percentage of their own brand as we built it as we went direct to consumer uh, with our own grocery store concept. And I never got it off the ground because it takes a long runway to get a business off the ground in food, guys. Like it's crazy how long of a runway you have to have, especially dealing in the magnitude that we used to deal with at Food Service Partners. So back to what, take it full circle, is so you're basically rewarding the individuals for the idea and making it so that they don't just have to live by being a chef. You're making them, well, you're making, they're being rewarded by your business, but they're also wanting to encourage your business to grow well and the other chefs who are helping you with ideas to do well because it also helps them because someone might pick up their item along with another chef's item. So I don't think there's a more entrepreneurial way of sharing the benefit in a way that's not giving away something or turning it into, uh, gosh, uh, a hand me it, a handout, for lack of a better term, or an entitlement thing. So, so you were working with someone, I didn't, and I got you off your story. So let's continue. Oh, so years ago, I met a uh, a chef, and he was telling me about this product that he created for, for a large um, uh, equipment company. And this product became a tremendous success for the equipment company. And I know, and I knew of the product and I said, how did you get, get rewarded? And he looked at me, he says, what do you mean get rewarded? I said, it was your idea. He says, well, they took me out to dinner and they bought me a nice bottle of wine. And it always bothered me. <laughs> it bothers the company, shit out of me, too. Uh, sorry. Yeah, go on. You know, this is a man. He gave you this idea. Reward this person for that idea. We have to reward each other. And that's a part of paying it forward. Um, and so by doing that, uh, I said, I'm going to do that in my company. And I'm, I want the ability to pay it forward. I also wanted to pay it forward. So for example, when the hurricanes hit uh, Houston, I, I took 10% of profits of, or 10% of sales for an entire month and I donated it to um, uh, the Red Cross. And I wanted to be able to help them uh, help the people in Houston. And that was something when you're an employee, it's harder to do when you're an entrepreneur, it's much easier to do. You can make those, those uh, decisions. And so by doing this, I wanted to create a company that did this every single day. I also wanted it to be personalized. So when I would get a new customer, I tried my best to call every customer and thank them for the order and let them know there's a person behind the name. Uh, I also tried to reward people uh, with uh, a phone call, a letter or something 
this is on the sales end to thank them for all of their efforts. I had, I had one distributor uh, that did a tremendous amount of work specifying my product. I didn't even know about it. Another distributor got the order. So when I learned about this, I called them. I introduced myself and I sent them a commission to thank them for doing all their work, even though they did not uh, get the sale. And I, but I wanted to create that relationship. The other thing that I did is we're in an industry where the manufacturers want to sell everybody. There's not select distribution. I wanted select distribution. And the reason I wanted select distribution is uh, I wanted the distributor salespeople to make an acceptable income in selling the product. I wanted the dealership to make an acceptable margin. And I wanted the operator to buy it in a, at an acceptable price. I, what I did not want to happen is for everybody to fight over this and nobody wins and it becomes a battle. And I wanted it to, there was reward for selling the products. So I had limited distribution. Now I was fortunate, my, my company did well in the United States. However, I did better outside the United States than I did inside the United States. I ended up selling in 39 countries. And I wow. was very, very wow. fortunate. And I took, I took a very un-American approach to it. Most American companies sell internationally and they use the same rules that they do domestically. I, I set up uh, master distributors within different continents. They then sold within those continents and our regions also. And by doing that, it allowed them to have security in selling the product. It allowed me to have product within the local market. And it helped the operator to know that if they needed to place an order, the distributor didn't have to place an order and have to wait because it was right where it was. So I had, I had, I had people in Australia, I had people in the Middle East, uh, Europe. Uh, South America, uh, Canada. And by doing this, I was very fortunate to get all these people to buy into the theory. And it was, again, paying it forward because I wanted them to make money. And the most important thing today is having the operator make money. So I, through all my traveling, I, I spent 170 5,000 miles a year traveling throughout the world. And I looked at what the needs were in, in Europe versus Australia versus the Middle East versus South America versus Canada. And there were some core needs, but at the same time, there were differences. For example, in Europe, people eat on smaller plates. They don't you know, in the U.S., we bring out a 10-inch plate or a 12-inch platter, and we go to town on it. In Europe, 
they bring out smaller plates. Everything is smaller portions and people start and they graze more. So I created a line called Savor uh, that was meant to uh, allow people to eat that way. The product looked like stoneware, felt like stoneware, but it was melanin. And I, I showed it in Europe. They went gangbusters with it. Uh, I brought it here to the States. Las Vegas loved it. So there were, and this was even before I even planned on introducing it. So these were the type of things that I was lucky to do and lucky to be an entrepreneur uh, to make the decisions quickly and come to market and not have to sit through a committee and overanalyze anything. Well, and I love this. So let's talk about Chef Ford, like what, where do you go? Like how do it grows and um, it grows. We're talking about you do very well. So what happens? How do you grow the business? Um, how do you manage all the people and train them to manage this growing business, I guess would be a good question because there's a lot of, okay, it sounds great, but you're having to manage people, you're having to manage more phone calls, you're having to manage more countries, more languages, more billing. How do you do that, David? Well, you know, they say everybody has strengths and everybody has weaknesses. I, I learned I had a weakness. And, and that is, as the company grew, I... I kept taking on more and more on my responsibility and I did not hire enough people and people to do their jobs. So I ended up doing a disproportionate amount of what needed to get done. I had customer service. I had warehousing and all that. Uh, I had uh, someone that handled the supply chain and telling me what needs to be purchased and all that. But I was the one that would go out and work with our manufacturers reps, work with the wholesalers. I would do all that and it wore me out. And the biggest lesson I learned of being an entrepreneur is you've got to find the balance between uh, doing it yourself finding the right people and determining when you can afford to hire more people. And that was the mistake I made is I had not, I made a mistake by not determining when I should hire more people to go out and make sales calls because it wore me out. My normal day started out in the morning. I would talk to Europe in the middle East during the day. I would speak to North America and set, South America and the Caribbean and uh, Latin America. And then, and then in the evening, I would talk to China, uh, Japan, uh, India, Australia, and I was exhausted when it came to holidays and I would go on trips with my wife. I was still working. There was no downtime. So the lesson I learned as an entrepreneur is hire good people. Uh, and that's 
investing in the company as you're investing in inventory. I kept putting more and more money into inventory and not enough money into people as hiring enough. Yeah, I think a lot of us or a lot of entrepreneurs make the mistake of the investment in the human capital. As you would call it in business school, to me, it's just growing humans. It's what we're supposed to do our entire lives. That's our responsibility. We're born to do that. But either way, um, here nor there, one of the things I like about what you said, though, is sometimes we get so focused on growing or we get in this entrepreneurial state where we keep taking on more because we don't want it to fall apart or we're not sure when we're going to hire if someone's going to be able to do it well or whatever million excuses we put in our own head. Um, and it can have negative, extreme negative consequences to our business, to our, our health, to our mental health. And I've been there myself, honestly, where I take on so much. And it's weird because I always think of the Tommy Boy movie because it's like they build this business to build brake pads. But then they have no business there because the father dies and he's also the salesperson, ironically, that everyone believes in in the character. And without him around and it was his project, how are they going to sell it? And it falls in the son's lap. And the father obviously took on too much or they wouldn't have had that problem. And Tommy Boy doesn't need to go running around to do it. So as a yep. second generation business person, when I was in business with my father, I always thought about that scenario. And I also always think about it now as that I'm on my own, the solo person, that if I drop dead or a truck hits me, how is this business going to run without me? And that scares me. Even with the podcast, I'm the only voice on here right now. And like not having a co-host is like a constant thought in my head that if I get hit or or my plane crashes, not to be morbid, whatever the word is. It's that that how do you carry on the message, who does it for you, and who makes sure everyone that's supported by this can be still supported uh, if they need to be. I agree. And so <clears throat> as an entrepreneur, we take on so much and we have so much gusto. Um, but go yep. on, David. My wife would tell me the same story. David, I don't know anything about the business other than what I do. And I need to know more. And I used to tell her it's in my head. And she says, yeah, but what happens if, if your head says it's, it can't work as well as it was, or if you get into a car accident, how's the business going to go on? I don't have the relationships that you have. And that's something that's really important that you had brought up before about relationships and how we met. Uh, when, when I was at Brown Food Service, and that's when we f first met, what I liked about you and your family was you guys worked together in tandem. And it was a lesson that I should have um, paid more attention to uh, and been, been cognizant of because between uh, yourself, your father, your sister, you guys worked very well together. And you were, you were incredibly honest, you were dedicated, you were partners, and you, you did what's right, not just for yourselves, but for your vendors and your customers. And those are all lessons that we need to learn as people.
uh, that it's not just the money. You know, you do it for the satisfaction. You do it for your employees. You do it for your customers. And that's what you guys did. And that's really important. Uh, And I appreciate it, uh, David, a lot. And um, I appreciate that. And I think that um, teams can go in and out of tandem, even if it's family. And I think to your point, I think if it's something that needs to be maintained and, and admired and focused on, and it really works for you uh, when it's in limbo, but if that, it can also work against you. And I've seen it with both um, just to point out my family, but I agree with you 100%. Um, one of the things that we, <clears throat> we all, we, we then were so reliant on each other or new family members that came in or new business partners that we didn't rely on new people as much as we should have also, I think, um, in the long run. And I'm learning some of those lessons now is what does that really look like? What is giving someone ownership without giving them ownership really look like? And a lot of those things that I'm working through also, I'm also working through what kindness truly means, which goes back to the podcast for before this, for anyone who wants to listen in for Holy Smoke, Kosher Barbecue or BBQ, Um, because um, this type of thing is um, the kindness thing lacks in society right now. And often the kind people like David or myself or whatever, it can be mistaken for weakness. And kindness, one, should not be mistaken for weakness, but two, it's so rare that people don't even know what it is anymore. Like, uh, you know, what are you doing? Or they think it's some type of scam. So I think there's also that part of it. But I also like what you said is that you need to be able to build trust over the long run. So it's like you're giving someone a little bit, and then if they do well, you give them a little more. But it has to happen over the long run. It can't just happen instantly, and it can't just be dumped in someone's lap. That's just people just don't build trust that way. They don't function well under that. So one things I've learned also is how to jockey out someone. Um, for lack of a better term, it's not the right term, but humans need to be jockeyed a little bit. There needs to be a little bit of uncomfortableness without overwhelming them. Okay. That's a safe way of growing someone. And also I hate to break it to everyone, but there is a benefit of growing other humans and why it's important as an entrepreneur, because you don't run into the stress, because I will tell you towards the end, I swear to you. I was working like 18 to 20 hours a day, seven days a week. I was trying to do Georgia. I was trying to get California and New York, and I'm, I'm trying to get a pod. I have multiple podcasts, and everything suddenly fell onto my lap, and I took it on because I was the, the, the one everyone looked to, and I was the one who was the entrepreneur, and I was the one with all the ideas. But one of the things I had learned is one of the things I didn't communicate my vision very well, even though I'm very visionary in the way that I lead and I speak and I'm very action driven and leading by example, but I don't communicate it as well as I should have um, to people or to the humans that really matter that are in the lower levels of the business. I didn't display the message well or get the vision concreted in them as well as I should have, which didn't give them the empowerment I needed to get more off my plate. I would say that that's number one. I realized it later on. Isn't that no, interesting? Yeah. We, we realized it in hindsight. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and if someone would have told you that, you 
probably would have thought about it and said, no, I'm doing it. But, but someone was trying to help, help you. Yeah. You may not listen. Yeah. It's really important to have those mentors and to, at all levels of the organization, to walk around, listen to the people. I had a boss early in my career and I was a product manager for a company and we would go visit the plant uh, the first Tuesday of every month and stay there until Friday. And uh, the first thing we did when we got there is he walked around the plant and he talked to every employee that he could. He, he knew their names. He knew about their families. He was able to communicate with all of these people. And uh, I asked him one day, I said, why do you do that? He's because I'm going to, he says, first of all, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have a company. They're the bottom line to it. They are the people that make the company run. Number two, they're going to tell me things that when we're sitting in these board meetings, uh, we're not going to hear the truth. We're going to hear what the department heads want us to hear or the board members want us to hear. And he says, we need to be able to listen to the people on the front lines. And it left a very valuable uh, uh, memory to me and a lesson. And Doug uh, was a fantastic uh, mentor and he taught me that, but it, you gotta constantly be, remember, be reminded. Yeah, and I agree with you on that as well. Like there was a period of time where I lost a little bit of that. I got a little too comfortable working on the business and not enough time in the business. Usually people have the opposite problem. They work too much in the business and not enough on the business. Yep. And I hadn't got back in with the employees and especially with COVID and not being able to go to the facilities because I wasn't in the operations side for so long and so many years that I wasn't deemed necessary and so, um, by the powers that be, that weren't anyone in our company, just so we're aware. And um, I think that that's important uh, to understand is that when we take away personal contact, when we take away personal communication, when we take away actually calling people on the phone, and I am really, really trying to get better at this, I was like my previous relationship was all about texting I don't know why like it just became very texting it hurt my business that I became that way it's hurting yep. relationships as I'm trying to build them right now like I was never that way I've always believed in picking up the phone my dad hammered it into my head like you could not believe but I got into a relationship personal relationship and it's all about texting I don't know why but no like things can be so misconceived all the time and it always happens and it's always from emotional state but phone calls and that communication or personal contact is very important. 
And I would just say I've learned my lesson that I was once that human. I reverted for some reason, especially during COVID. I And I still do it. I still am trying to, why do I text all the time? And I'll spin myself in a circle. And it's because I think I want to clearly communicate and get all the things out I want to say. So everyone hears it. But the reality is I don't even know how they're interpreting it. So I'm probably making things 10 times worse by just texting it all on a text. And believe me, it's happened to me already in Nashville as I'm dealing with a different demographic. They I'm more aggressive than people are used to in the South. I speak very quickly. And so on text message, I I write the way I'm like thinking like and they're like oh my god this guy's intense and he's really coming on strong and what is what's going on here and I'm like oh I dumped a lot of information and it's not just hi how are you like everyone else does and so like I just have to be careful because I can be not likable because I'm like I just like here's an overwhelming amount of information and so it's it's very true And, you know, for me, for other high functioning individuals like David and I, we're like, like more information you give me in the shortest amount of time so I can function highly, go succeed, kick ass in the world, be efficient with my time. Great, dude. We're fucking on the same page. But everyone else, that's not the way the rest of the world works. And we can come into it very intense. And because of that, we can take on more and burn ourselves out. I know it's hard to explain. It seems like I just tied something weirdly together to go full circle but I'm serious is we're so high functioning. We're so like, and the rest of the world doesn't understand because we're, we, we are that way. And we're almost like pushing people away because we're so high functioning and intimidating that we end up making it worse for ourselves. Cause then we end up taking on what we think everyone else can't do instead of just growing them and investing in them and slowing down. One of the best lessons I've ever got was in 2019, a Jocko will link, uh, lesson, which is stop, pause, and pick your head up and look around before you move forward. Like it's just such an essential lesson. Take a snapshot where you are, you know. And his was more military based, but the leadership lesson still is instilled in me. Right? Stop. Like you need to reassess your situation every once in a while. Don't go in with a full head of steam. So, anyway, David, I didn't mean to interrupt you. We were on Chef Ford, and we're at this point. Yep. So, what happens yep. from here? Actually, what what you were saying is very true. One of the things that I learned uh, early in my career is when I would travel to the South, and someone would say to me, "Where are you from? From uh, New York City?" That meant I was talking too quickly. So I slow down. I, you know, I didn't keep throwing out information after information after information, I realized I had not developed the relationship that I needed to, and the relationship was more important. And so uh, that was one of the uh, parts that I learned early in my career was you have to learn the environment that you're talking with, that you're sharing information with. But, you know, when I look at all these businesses, it's people. That's what we're dealing with. When you look at the hospitality business, either you're on the supplier end or if you are on uh, the operator end, our job is to make sure that our customer is happy. And if one part falls down, it's harder for the other parts to do their jobs properly. 
and it's a team. And, you know, there's some, so try to figure out a way to get it done. Like I, I had a customer once that uh, he decided to open up two and a half weeks early. And the container was coming in the next week. And I said to him, I don't know what, what to do. Why are you opening up early? Everything is done. Let's bring in uh, the people and we're going to have a soft opening. I, he says, but I don't have my dinnerware. So I thought about it. And he was such a pleasure to work with. I sent him dinnerware for free. I, I had some dinnerware that had the wrong item numbers on it. And I said, it's not what you ordered, but it'll get you open. Will that work? Well, so he was so appreciative. He opened up five more locations and, and he used Chef Forward for all, all five more. And I, I was lucky. And when, you know, and I thanked him each time, he says, no, you helped me and now I'm helping you. Uh, he says, I really appreciate it. Most people won't do that. And Which we is forget the pay it forward, right? To Chef exactly. Forward. Exactly. I was paying it forward and I looked at it as a partnership. And I think if we look at things that way, it's really important. Uh, I'm going through a personal experience now that uh, I uh, will never buy a product from this company again. My wife and I bought couches. The couches stuffing failed within four and a half weeks of receiving the couch. I moved from Arizona to Wisconsin. I notified them that I'll be moving, but I don't have an address yet. Uh, after 10 weeks, I had not received the stuffing so that they can have someone uh, fill it up. And they said, oh, we have some in our warehouse. I said, great, but don't send it because my product is in storage right, right now, all of my couches and and everything and i'll let you know when when to send it well they didn't do that they sent it to my old home in arizona now so i called them when i saw the notification and i said reroute it to this address in wisconsin and they didn't do that it shows up in arizona it's now going to cost me uh close to $400 to pay for the UPS to my home. And when I called them to complain, they said, well, it's your fault. You didn't give us the right address in time. And we're not going to fix it for, for you. We'll, we'll reinstall it, but you have to pay, pay for the freight. I will never buy a product from that company again. And that's a lesson that I think we all have to learn. The sale isn't over until they order again and again and again, and they feel comfortable with it and they want to do business with you. And that's the, one of the most important lessons in business yeah. is get the return customer. And 
it's the lifetime know, value of a customer, not just give me the cash now. It's just so short-sighted. I agree with you, David. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, it is nice. You know, and then, you know, I've had a situation where I sold my business a year and a half ago. Uh, and I sold it to a company named GT Servor, GT Melamine. People know them as. And uh, they have been fantastic. They have treated the brand in a similar manner as I started it out. They treated me with respect. Uh, they, they asked me questions. They asked for guidance. It's been fantastic. So, so many times, and I've gone through this in my career where I worked for a company and it was sold, and they always say, we're going to take the best of you and the best of us, and they don't. Well, the company I sold my company to has done that, and they have been very re respectful of my ideas. I continue to design product for them, which is a lot of fun. So I'm taking all the fun part of my job, and I have no worries about selling it, purchasing it, shipping it, uh, billing it, nothing at all. I just have the opportunity to design. And... I'm very fortunate to be able to do that because I'm still, I'm still young. And that's the other part, being an entrepreneur. It, when you leave a company, when you're an employee, most of the time you're done. And you say, I'm going to retire and that's it. When you're an entrepreneur, you're always an entrepreneur and you're always looking for the next thing to do. Uh, and that's how this opportunity arose with GT. And I started a new company called Lejeune. Uh, Lejeune, uh, I am helping a retail company get into the food service industry. And I'll do that for three to six months. And then we'll see what other opportunities take place. Uh, and with the Lejeune and, and helping this company, that's what we were talking about at the very beginning and about, for example, our relationship. When you're, when you're on, the, on the equipment and supply end of the business and you develop a good rapport and a good name for yourself, you could come back again and again and again. And people, as long as you did them right, and you were honest, you were hardworking, you were fair, uh, and uh, they will let you in their door, and it brings opportunity. So I'm going to continue to do that. Uh, I'm going to look at how I can help others. Uh, and, uh, you know, because when I looked, when this company approached me, I said, you know, I said to them, I can give you X amount of hours per week. And they were happy about that. And I said, uh, you know, the whole goal is to make sure that you're doing what's right. I said, you're in the retail business. I don't understand retail. Uh, but food service is relationship. And it's on every end of the business. Uh, and it's like when you go into a restaurant, 
you want to have the same portion every single time. You, I don't know about you, but I like having the same weight every time. I like to sit at the same table. I like the relationship. I like. I am 100% in agreement with you. I may order something different on the menu, but I always have a Diet Coke. Like, hands down, you know that, great. And, you know, and people I'm with, they may always have the same thing. But I agree with you. If you're truly good at your job, you're building a relationship with the person, you want to make sure that they have the same comforts and have those things always. It's just, I don't know how to do it always because someone may be sitting in the table that that person always sits in. But there's ways to figure it out. So go on, David. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. Well, yesterday I had an, a perfect experience like that. So there's a, a shoe store here in Kenosha, and they're moving. So they had a moving sale, and the place was packed. And there's a guy that I've met over the last uh, month and a half since I moved to uh, Wisconsin, and he's helping all these people. I saw, saw him. He pulled, he waved waved to me. And then he came up to me, says, listen, it's real busy. What can I do to help you? I think the shoes that you were interested in are on sale. Would you like me to bring them out to you? And I said, well, actually, I'm, bring, I, I'm bringing my wife in because I, she's looking for a pair. She says, um, where is she? And I pointed, he says, I will help her out. And uh, he knew, you know, he just had great follow he, he was able to follow up with her he was able to communicate with her he was telling her stories of what i had told him and it was really nice and he was a great salesperson early in my career uh and i was in charge of sales at a company and i put up a sign in the customer service department and in the warehouse and I said, sales is everyone's responsibility. They all got upset, said, we're not in sales. We're in customer service. We're in warehousing. And I said to him, hold on a second. I said, customer service people. I said, who talks to the customer the most? The salespeople or the reps? I said, no, you do. I said, you talk to the to the buyers or to the salespeople almost every single day, you have some type of communication with them, either on the phone, via email, or via text. I said, that's how you're communicating. And I said, in the warehouse, I said, if you don't do your job correctly and ship the order as ordered and uh, uh, pack it correctly, then something happens in the shipping and we have an upset customer. I said, that's all a part of sales. And I said, so I said, sales is everyone's responsibility. And when you're an entrepreneur and if you, if you have a team that understands that they will buy in. And when you're an entrepreneur and you're a small company, there's, there's not a job title. It's everyone's responsibility to do it. I worked with a, a customer service person. Her name was Kimmy. Kim, when, when the orders were busy in the warehouse, 
Kimmy would leave her desk and go and pull and pack orders. She, she, she knew she had to get it done and she knew which orders were important and, and the warehouse people were busy. So she was going to get it done no matter what. And you can't find people like that every day, but when you do, you reward them. I agree with you 100%, David. And I think one of the things that is hugely important in what you said is that we, our sales team, while we have salespeople out there, and while they are just mining, they're actually not managing the client. They're not actually making sure there's reoccurring sales always. While they have to go touch base, a lot of that work's done and how that experience happened. It's not in the relationship with the salesperson or the long-term relationship with the salesperson. If you have long, if you have salespeople that realize that there's long-term value in the customer and that it's a long-term relationship in order to have true value for both parties, then and you're providing a solution, a real solution that you did, then of course it's a beneficial relationship. They're paying money for something and they're getting a solution. And if you continue to do that over and over again, both parties benefit and both parties win because the solution is real and you're getting paid for providing that solution as an entrepreneur. So I think that that's, that's the whole thing. And then tying the whole thing like I always say this, you don't need sales team if you're so good at your job and you're so good at the business development side and you're so good at executing your product and you deliver it on time, word of mouth will spread on its own. You don't need a sales team. The really, really what ends up happening is you have account managers because the rest of your back of the house is so damn good that they're just managing the accounts for you on the road and touching base so you make sure that you have friendly faces representing your company out there against all the sharks and coo and other people that are out there actually they're more like house cats but anyway um it's like it's like that and so um i want to just refer to those type of things because i think one of the things i like about you david and i want to take the time to talk about this for a little bit longer is um you're one of the best salespeople, and i use that in the old term I think that you're actually a truly gifted relationship builder and Thank it's you. part of your foundation and people label it as sales and it gets clustered in with like used car salesmen because I think that that's one type of sales that people think of and it's not that there's no tricks, there's no gimmicks, there's no hack. It's just genuine relationships over a long period of time and the discipline, the consistency and the determination to execute uh, what's been said in those relationships. And if push comes to shove and someone wants to open early, it's also going to the extent of going the extra mile or whatever you want to call it for that person or for that relationship because most people and most businesses don't. And that's also what gets you loyalty over the long run, just saying. So yeah. um, let's talk about your mythology a little bit. Like if you're training a sales team, because I think this is important because you're the best I've ever seen, like truly in and just building relationships. And I know you've burned yourself out. So the new David coming in, doing these businesses, like going out there, now you have a, a fresh start. How do you do it moving forward? Because you were the best before in building the relationships. But I do understand that if you can concentrate too much and have to be the one to do it and don't pass it on, you burn out. 
So what is that? How do you do it? How do you recommend other entrepreneurs do it? Well, I have to tell you, I had the best uh, example, which was my father. My father passed away when I was 14. And I got to watch him growing up. He was a manufacturer's rep in men's clothing. And he he accounted for over 60% of the company's sales when he passed away. Uh, within a year and a half, the company was gone because nobody, they ended up hiring, um, I think, three people to replace him and they still couldn't do the volume. People were buying from him. And that's the one thing that he always told me is people buy from people. And you have to develop relationships. And it goes back to what I told you earlier. Say what you're going to do and do what you say. Uh, you know, we're not in a complicated business, Justin. We're in a very simple business. It's people. And, you know, if I had to worry about the price of something by pennies, I would, be a, I would not be a good salesperson because the little bit of pennies lo loses the relationship to me in the long run. I want, to do, I want to provide something that everybody wins. And I want to make sure that the customer is happy with what they're buying. And I want to make sure the salesperson is, has been rewarded for selling what they have sold. And that they didn't have to worry about it. That once they placed the order, it was taken care of. So those are really important. But the other part is this. We all want to be appreciated. We all want to know that people are interested in us. I genuinely like people. I, you know, if you're honest with me, we have a great relationship. If you're not honest with me, I will not do business with you at all. I have ended relationships on my very, very first day at Brown. I got, a, I, I was, I had flown to Arizona. I was living in Columbus at the whole, at that time for a conference. And I went to set up the booth with uh, one of the associates that I worked with. And I showed up at then my hotel to check in and the phone rings and it's a customer service manager. And she introduces herself and had a nice conversation. And she says, I'm calling you for a reason. And she says, I normally do not complain. She said, but we have a customer, a new customer that we're doing really nice business with, but he's getting more and more and more belligerent. And he had just called uh, uh, one of the customer service people a very offensive word. And then she gave the phone to me and he called, called me that word too. I told him he can't do that. And I said, I'm going to hang up now. He called back and wanted to know who my boss was. So she gave him my phone number and we were doing about 200 and some odd thousand dollars with this guy. And, uh, he called, he was all chummy chummy with me. And then I said, and how can I help you? 
And then he starts in and he starts complaining about the customer service people. And then he used that offensive word. And I said, okay, let me stop you there. I said, I really appreciate your business. However, I'm going to call the customer service team up now, ask them to write canceled on your purchase order and fax it back to you. He said, what? And I told him again what I'm going to do. I said, I want you to understand, you do not talk to my associates that way. That way. And he says, what's your boss's name? What's his phone number? So I gave him my boss's name and phone number. This is day one on the job. And so I called up my you know, my associating customer service, I told her what to do. She goes, you can't do that. He's a really good customer. I said, no. I said, the way he spoke to you was completely offensive. You don't do that. And so um, about 30 minutes later, I get a call from my boss and he says, so how was your first day on the job? I said, my first day on the job was wonderful. He says, so you're already making changes. And I said, yes. And he said, what changes uh, did you make? Cause I got a phone call and I told him and he started laughing. He goes, I would do the same thing. I said, and that's what I liked about you. I said, these, you have to, you know, these coworkers are so important and people have to be treated with respect. And by using the word that he used and he progressively kept getting worse and worse and worse over time, we don't want unhappy uh, coworkers. We want coworkers that know that we got their back. And, and I did that. Uh, and I had, a, I had another distributor um, that we put together a, a program with them. He, he gave his word. I took him for the word. I gave him six months to do it. I came back again in February, which is then eight months. He had not done anything. And he apologized and he said that he will, he will, will get it done. He did not get it done. So I, 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 when I, I had a regional manager covering that territory and I said, I will go out there and I'll do this myself. So I went out and I told this distributor, I want to look him in the eye, uh, that our, our program is done. We're not going to do business anymore. But before that, he said to me, he said, no, you don't understand. I told you I would look at doing it. I didn't say I was going to do it. And I looked at him. I said, you know, fool me once. Uh, that old saying, he said, yeah. I said, well, you're, you're not going to fool me again. I said, our relationship is over. Uh, if you want to buy, you can continue to buy, but you will not get the benefits that I had offered you before. And because I didn't think it was right to do business with them. And if they were not backing up what they were doing, because I wanted our all of our customers to be assured that they had to do something to earn the rewards that we were giving them. So you're talking about being a nice guy. You can always be a nice guy, 
you can be respectful uh, and but you have to be confident. And if you're confident in what you're doing, you could look someone in the eye, tell them that the relationship was not working and you move on. And they hurt you short term, but in the long term, it'll help you. Yeah, and I'm a big proponent of this. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Dave, but I think it's both in our personal relationships and we don't do this early on enough and we get stuck in situations or in business partnerships or in vendor relationships or client relationships. Like particularly in the food service businesses, we take a lot of negativity unnecessarily that ruins our companies that we're working really hard in and we're wondering why they don't do well. Well, we allow that in. And I just yeah. wanted to anchor that point or footnote it or cement it, whatever you, the audience wants to use as their term, but we need to concrete it into the into our mind big time. Yep, I agree. With you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you know it just you know, and that's all a part of part of relationship building. And that's what I would tell anybody getting into the business. Uh, just be honest with what you're saying. You know, if you know that the product's not going to be ready for three weeks. Don't tell them that you think it's going to be ready within the next next few, few weeks. Because a few weeks to some people mean one week or two weeks, but it's really going to be three weeks. And then what happens is you've got a problem on your hands. Be honest. Be factual. They'll respect you for it. Uh, if you don't think it's the right product for someone, don't sell it. If you don't have the product for them, recommend a product that you think will work for them. Then you become a resource. They'll call you all the time and they'll say, hey, listen, I don't know if you have this, but. And that's happened to me throughout my entire career. And that's the greatest compliment that someone can give is that they trust you, uh, you know, to if if they believe in you and they believe in what you say, they'll come back time and time again. And I, you know, I appreciate you saying that I'm a very good salesperson. Um, that's something that to me, I never wanted to go into sales. Uh, me I had neither ever, ever, but it's like my whole life now. It's like, I'm, yep. but I don't see it that way. I don't call it sales. I'm like a, relationship builder, long-term relationship, whatever. Yep. I see it business development, human development, grower of humans type thing, and mutual growth. Like there's some mutual growth that goes on when I really turn this on, by the way. But go on. Yeah. Well, that's exactly the way I look at it. And I think that's why we get along. Uh, res and that's respect. And by helping others grow, you grow. And you don't have to get rewarded immediately the reward is you've helped helps someone else become better at what they do or a better person and i you know i mentor quite a few people and i love when they call and they ask me questions it's an honor to me you know that that they're doing this and i love doing it because it's it means that I have helped them make a change in their lives. 
and I'm and I I'm really humbled that the, the folks let me do that and allow you know that they trust me. Well, and I agree with you, and I think that that's you and I sort of bounce in and out of each other's lives at at moments over the last fourteen years. Um, yeah. And as we go through different businesses or transitions, for me, it's personal relationships and business transitions, ironically. But it's just the type of character and human I am, and I do not have children of my own. Um, so, like, one of those things is, like, truly determining, like, what my life is going to look like and what impact is and influence with or without children of my own um, or even adopting or, or whatever this starts to look like in the future but one of the things that I'm fully focused on is just this concept that David's talking about is it's as such an important part of an entrepreneur that we invest this time in our businesses and in our team members and the humans that are around us that it's also so compounded into the next generation. Like I'm a multiple generation entrepreneur at this point and I'm the American dream all wrapped into one. And it's kind of crazy to me that what can actually happen when these the right things or the right modeling and the right examples and maybe not always and something being a third generation compounded American dream entrepreneur that I'm learning is there's a lot of to the mental side of it to the energy side of it to going back and dealing with negative family patterns to picking your relationships based on core values and not necessarily, oh, just because we have something in common doesn't mean anything. Commonality changes. Uh, Businesses change. But I always know I'm an entrepreneur. I always know that I'm an athlete, like I'm a protector of the world around me. I always know like I'm a grower or I call it a farmer, like I farm the world around me in food and I farm and plant seeds in the humans around me that'll grow long after I'm gone. And you know, it's those type of things that I think are so important in that what we do, you know, um, and I'm a leader. I just naturally want to lead by example first. It took me a long time before extroverted and be able to speak like I do now and especially on the podcast. So all of those things, I think, David, are important and you and you're right. If you can't grow the people around you, it's I don't know what skill you have to transcend and you become a one trick pony. It's like, I can do computers really well. Well, that's great, but you need to be able to grow humans. You can do any job at that point. doesn't matter if you have the skill, you can learn a skill, but growing humans is like a master skill that you have to learn over a lifetime. So any stage that you're growing in it, you're better off than you were before. And, and it's that constant race against yourself. Like people are always like, who are you competing against? Well, I'm competing against who I was yesterday or today, depending on how you look at it. And that's first and foremost to me. That way, I'm never spreading negativity to someone else. And I'm never worried about hurting someone else. Is there competition? Do they want to hurt me? Sure, potentially. And that could happen. I wouldn't say everyone's that way, but yes. But am I worried about it? No, because I've learned that worrying about it doesn't make it not happen or happen. The more I put distance between myself and myself, the more I put distance between them also. And that's so important mentally, physically, spiritually. It's all those things and how we handle it and take care of ourselves. And 
one of the things you've taught me, David, a lot in my career and just being so young when I met you, I was 28 and I was about 10 years into the food service partners journey and that entrepreneurial journey about 20 years into my entrepreneurial journey as a human um, and both being sort of entrepreneur and entrepreneur as I learned my way through things. And I just think that one of the things that you encompass so well when you have all of it right, and we talked about how it goes off balance, is just that you have such a good energy about you because you work on yourself so much. Like you're very conscious about who you are and reflective, and I give uh, it a lot of energy. Could you, as we sort of just wrap things up for this episode, I just want to talk about that real quick because we don't talk about it, but you're very reflective on your behavior and you go back and relive conversations with people very often. I know that about you because you and I have talked about this before you, not only do you spend a lot of time building relationships, but you also reflect back on them on how you can do it better next time. Will you talk about that? Sure. Well, thank you um, for the compliment. So there's two things that really have helped me. One is my wife. My wife is just a wonderful partner and we talk about how our days are, who we've encountered, who we've spoken to, uh, how we thought it went, what could we have said differently and we do that every day and that's really important and we talk about our relationship and I've been married for going on 35 years and it's the most wonderful thing in the world. Uh, so that, that's one part. Another part is uh, earlier in my career as a going away gift, when my position was relocated to uh, El Paso, Texas, my boss said, you can take any class you want as a going away gift. And I went to Disney University. And I went to leadership the Disney way. And I agree with you. Uh, Disney is like one of the greatest of this. Go on. I love this, that you did this. Yeah. And so what this, this was teaching, teaching how to run a business the way Walt Disney would run a business. And one of the key things that they taught was through storytelling. And they said, don't tell people how to do things. Share, share an example. Share a success, share a failure, but share it in a way so that people can understand rather than being spoken to. You're sharing it with them. And they gave examples and we practice. Like one of the things that they showed us how if you if you tell one person who tells the next person who tells the next person who tells the next person, by the time it's 10 down the line, it has nothing to do with what was originally said. It's, per, it's people's interpretations. So you have to effectively find a way to communicate. And it's the same way to yourself. You may, you know, I may come out of meetings, you may come out of meetings, think you heard X, Y, Z. But in reality, it was ABC. So after I meet with a customer, 
I will always ask the people that I'm with, um, so let's review the, on the sales call. What did we do right? What could we have done better? And, and there's no, there, there's nothing to worry about. There's, it, it's not to say that anybody has done anything wrong, but the one thing you have to be cognizant of is if someone's not, po- not a positive, self-assured person, this may be very hard for them to do. So by doing this, you're not only helping them short-term, you're helping them long-term of building that confidence and asking the right questions. And I am not right all the time. I make mistakes and I need to learn from my mistakes. And, um, and that's by listening to others and what they have to say about the experiences that we share together. And it's really important. And it's this, it's this, it's in business, it's in personal life. And, uh, and I think once we learn all that, we'll, we'll treat other people the right way. We'll treat them with respect. We'll treat them with understanding. We'll, we'll understand what their needs and wants are. And I, you know, one of the things that we started the conversation about was working towards something rather than having it given. And this is all a part of it. If we work towards a goal, we may not reach the goal 100%, but do we really have to hit it 100%? Is, is 98% good enough? Many times it is. And so, you know, an old boss once said to me was, do it, try it, fix it. Sometimes you may be 90% there, and it will take you nine months to get to 95%, but we need... We need to get it out now, so just put it out there and keep keep on working it. Keep on fixing it, and customers will tell us what's wrong. And there's a lot of truth to that, and it's truth to ourselves because we constantly have to improve ourselves. We can't be stable. I post on LinkedIn every single night five positive messages, and the reason I do that is part of Chef Forward, of Paint It Forward, I wanted to give people motivation. But I do it because I get the satisfaction of doing it. And I love the fact that it has helped people. And the people that have pulled me to the side to tell me how it's helped them. So it's what you're doing here, Justin, by holding these podcasts and giving people motivation Allowing them to think, I think, is absolutely fantastic, and I commend you for it. I appreciate and I appreciate what you're doing and the time you spent, and you've always offered me time and stuff like that and always helped me. And, um, David, I'm going to have you back on the podcast at some point, probably towards the end of the month or February, just so we can continue to talk, because I think there's so much more that you and I can discuss and, and give, if that's okay with you. That would be great. And I'm always, go ahead. Always here, Dustin. Awesome. And um, for everyone in the audience, um, will you let us know where they can find you? Like how people can reach out to you to contact you if they're they want to reach out to you or reach out to your business or get consulting from you. How do they do that, David? Um, they can go through LinkedIn, 
uh, David Richmond uh, on on LinkedIn, or they can email me at David Richmond R I C H M A N at duck d u c k dot com, and I'll be more than happy to get back with you. Awesome! Thank you guys for listening in. Uh, if you want to find us, uh, you can hear us on Spotify or anywhere else you grow yourself through podcasts. And if you like what's going on here, you like the episode, please give us a five star, guys. Go on to wherever you listen, Spotify, give us five stars or a high rating. Give us a good review and also share with other entrepreneurs out there in the food space. And you see we're starting to branch into food service equipment and and manufacturing and i'm trying to get diversity not just restaurants and and the typical spaces but also branch out into more things and back into the co-packing as well so we give a very diversified show over 365 episodes a year i don't want to just talk about restaurants or food trucks we want to give a diversified perception and uh perspective sorry and um so we can have better perception and David is just someone who's going to help anchor this and I hope to get more like distributors on the podcast, maybe even some people that are um, just dis- uh, distributors and other businesses and food and things like that. So I'm going to work, start working through that. But I wanted to get David on because I want to start branching out and giving everyone more exposure to how complicated, how much support, how valuable our food systems are and that we don't destroy them in the way that we are since COVID and so many other ways are hurting our restaurant businesses. We basically did prohibition to our restaurant businesses during COVID and it financially crushed it and we're still recovering and we lost all the labor. So it's like, what am I doing? Well, this is part of it. I'm glorifying and making the heroes in food service and the food service business because it matters. And the other part is, is that we have to plant seeds now that last multiple generations, particularly in food, particularly in natural food, particularly in, in food and having the right morals and ethics. So I will continue to do that. Excuse me. And I will continue to bring individuals onto the podcast who have this similar mindset and where we can grow everyone. So I'm, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. That's, I agree with David. There's this weird part of my life that I get a weird amount of reward out of knowing that I'm helping, even if it's just one person, even if it's just the two of us growing from this conversation we're recording, it's a lot and it's not that, but I'm just saying we need to think about things that way. And when we invest and we do things because it's the right thing to do and it grows something in the future, eventually, you know, if we plan it now, it's going to happen and grow in the future. A seed doesn't just sprout. And so we need to think about things that way. And we want to think about things that way because that's ultimately what gets us to our goals because we understand that it's planting a lot of little seeds along the way. And eventually we look back and there's a whole row of crops behind us that lead to financial greatness or a food business or stacking bricks that lead to a cathedral. Whatever your analogy is, it matters. And you should think of life that way, that every day we're stacking a brick or every day we're planting a seed in the future. So thank you again, David. Thank you, everyone, for listening in, and we're out.